stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. World Pride is coming to Sydney and we've got a couple of special episodes which our trainee Mads is helping to curate. Hey Mads. Hello. So Mads, can you tell us a bit more about World Pride and why it's so important to you? Yeah, so World Pride is this big international festival um, that's about celebrating LGBTQIA plus people and we're hosting it in Sydney this year so it's going to be combined with Mardi Gras so as well as celebration and visibility the event is all about honoring the roots of protest and queer liberation um, at the center of Mardi Gras and I am personally excited about it because I am a lesbian and a drag king. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) What are you most excited for, for World Pride? There is a lot. There is a lot that's happening during World Pride. (laughs) Personally, I think I'm excited to see all the local artists who are getting the opportunity through World Pride to put on shows and things like that. There are a lot of big ticket corporate items. Mm. Um, But personally, I think some of the smaller events are the ones to look out for. Yes, 100%. I was very overwhelmed by the sheer amount of stuff happening and I missed my chance to get tickets to any of the big official events, but I am so stoked for the more intimate community events that are going to be taking place. Very, very keen to head along. Um, Mads, where can people find out more info about different events they might like to go to and what's happening around the city? Yeah, you just need to head on over to prideamplified.au. Just type that in the search bar and it is a very comprehensive list of all the events that you can find. Amazing. People can get around it, organize Mm -hmm. their calendar like I really need to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mads, thank you so, so much for coming on and telling us about World Pride. Mads will be back in a couple weeks for our second World Pride episode. Catch you then. See you then. So this week for Valentine's Day, we have stories that break down heteronormative assumptions about love, the kind of stories that aren't often in the mainstream. First up, Mel meets a cute couple at a dinner party and hears their love story, and a heads up that there is a brief mention of sexual assault coming up. Recently, I had dinner with my friends Paul and Kuro. They invited their new neighbours, Lil and Law, along as well. I did. Because I was like, the signs were there that I might not be straight because I married a woman in Stardew Valley. Lil and Law are one of those classic cute couples that are just so in love it radiates from them. <clears throat> so, warm-up question. 
what did you have for breakfast? I had breakfast brought to me in bed this morning. <laughs> it was yogurt with granola and apple and banana. And honey. And honey. And on top of that, they have one of the most film plot love stories I have ever heard. Lil and Law met when they were cast as the lead romantic roles in a production of Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility. And you can probably guess what happened next, but I'll let them tell the story. Tell me about the first time you met and the, the circumstances of that. I think it was when I auditioned, wasn't it? You were in the room. Were, were you in the scene? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> I was too busy thinking that you were cool and <laughs> way too cool for me. So I don't know anything about Sense and Sensibility. Well, they fall in love, but it turns out that he's been betrothed to another. Um, and so the the plot really centres around the two sisters, Eleanor and Marianne, and they're sort of head and heart loosely. And Eleanor is the head and, you know, suppresses her feelings while Marianne gallivants off with young men who turn out to be very bad for her sort of deal. And it was ad- adapted by the the head of 24 Carat Productions, um, Shamini and she also put a lot of stuff about the East India Trading Company and colonization that's not really present in the Austen novel. She's always interested in queering Austen, in um, exploring, yeah, like you say, the themes of colonialism, all the bits that, that we don't get to see on the big screen. Who are the lead characters that you were playing respectively and what's like the rough? I, I was Edward and Lil was Eleanor. We got fake married. <laughs> That's when I knew that I was having some feelings that probably weren't entirely platonic because that was the first time I've ever experienced that was when we were doing the wedding scene and I was like, this would be nice for real. Wait, what? (laughs) We had little jokes and improing yes and moments and we both came one rehearsal super tired and uh, got told to sit in a chair or something. I, we were being too disruptive. <laughs> Apparently the way Lil was looking at me when she's sitting on the couch and I'm singing my solo, uh, yeah, that was a big giveaway apparently, <laughs> according to the director. We would hug at the end of my last solo and then I had a little, we had like intertwining bits and I would always get too overexcited with the hug and not have enough breath to sing properly <laughs> and be struggling for those two lines. And we had a nap in a prop bed between – we had a really big show day of matinee and an evening show. And, and Lil was in the prop bed when I got there actually uh, and invited me if I wanted to have a nap with her. <laughs> and I felt so honoured because that's like a quite intimate thing and it meant that there was a lot of trust there and it was very meaningful for me as well as a, um, an assault survivor to be in a bed with another human for the first time and not feel like I was under threat. It was very, and I told Lil that at the end of the season. <laughs> I distinctly remember saying, cuddle or no cuddle? And there was this long pause <laughs> and then cuddle. <laughs> It was interesting because a lot of Eleanor's story is about denial insofar as she perceives that she can't have this relationship. And I knew that Law was ace and I didn't know much about asexuality either. And so simultaneously along with Eleanor's storyline, I had my own personal one, which was like, 
I think I want this, but I'm not sure that I can have it because I don't know what it means. <laughs> and there's literally a song called I Want Reprise where she has a big crying ballady type number about the things that she can't have. This was straight after a scene where Edward, you find out his secret engagement and he runs away with Lucy, who is the paramour, the, you know, from my perspective, Eleanor's perspective at this point in production, you're doing what an actor is exactly not meant to do and they're becoming one and you would run away and I would be like (laughs) and then I was like something's wrong Lil (laughs) calm down what were your previous experiences of relationships like I remember you saying that this was this was quite a new thing for both of you in different ways it was both of our first queer relationships it was only really show week where I realized that this was clearly different to anything I'd felt before because Ace previously everything I had trouble distinguishing between platonic and romantic and all of the huge constellation of everything it was all just well if I like someone we click that happens with lots of people and then the more time I spend with them the more intimacy is generated that's just an equation whereas this was like there's something different to this and I, because I was convinced that I was straight as well, I was like, oh, no, you're doing that terrible actor thing. Re- feel, you know, you're confusing the thing. And to to go anywhere with this would be a great disservice to the both of you. You know, I was but, worried about that, too. Mm. Yeah, it's just it's the onstage chemistry. It's, it's new friendship excitement. But it was not. <laughs> well, yeah. it was all of them. <laughs> Everything's been really intentional mm. and a lot of communication. And there were no assumptions, which has been very empowering that there's no like oh I guess we have to do this now because this is what everyone does in the world of movies it's been very step by step well what would you like to do yeah the interesting part of um compulsory heterosexuality is the kind of future that you map for yourself. It's its the map that we're all fed from childhood. So, you know, as a cis woman, you'll get a man taller than yourself who earns more than yourself and you will have a child with them, maybe two, blah, 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 you know. And I think in moments of life when you feel directionless as well, it's a very easy default option to insert for yourself and that can generate so much unhappiness and discontent in so far as is that something that actually aligns with what you value? And it very well may be, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, that would presumably lead to a lot of happiness. But I think opening yourself up to interrogating what it is that you want and prize and value, there's something that a queer identity, well, we sort of have to, like, construct it from the beginning, but that's really healthy in some ways and you can make your relationship bespoke and very much centred around what you want and any sort of accidental expectations or things like that, I suppose they still exist to some extent, but they're not constructed around this this model mm. that you can very easily insert in place of something that you actually both want. Also couples therapy. <laughs> Do it before you need it. We did it at the start because of all the aforementioned mm. factors and anxieties mm. and it's been really helpful even just to practice asking for space or go through hypotheticals or have an intentional discussion of values and having a third person who's also an expert that you know you can talk about this stuff with and there'll be an external safety net that if you 
you know, get overwhelmed or you know, trigger happens, you're in a space where that's completely safe and you're not worried about overwhelming your partner either. You've got an external thing. I think that's that's all that I had really. But if there's anything else that you want to add... I love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> First time I was really ang- what what's new? I was really anxious that up. <laughs> I, I kept having the impulse to tell Lil I loved her, but it was quite early on. I guess in the sense of the official relationship. Um and I was stressing about well, what it's 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 not been that long. I don't want to freak her out, but I keep wanting to say this thing. How do I do it? And uh, I asked a friend and, and she was like, Oh, well just don't say just I love you. You can say like I love you a lot or have like a little pet thing to it. And then I was trying to work up the courage to do it and then Lil beat me to it and said oh. I love you to bits one night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such a relief. <laughs> that story was produced by Mel Chun. Lil and Law met while working on a production by 24 Carat Productions, a production company which prioritises diverse and inclusive casting. We've put a link in the show notes if you'd like to find out more. You're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. Next up, Nevor meets the love of their life at a Berlin Pride Parade in the rain. I've been thinking a lot about love in lockdown. The ways that I feel loved, the ways that I love others, and especially what that all means when we are so far away from one another. So, I'm going to tell you a love story. But it's not a love story you've seen in movies or on television. Which, to be fair, is likely because queer love that isn't just a reimagining of heteronormative relationships is sorely lacking in representation. Queer love that isn't strictly romantic or platonic, that isn't focused on looking like typical rom-coms, but rather... Queer love that lives in sharehouses, at festivals, in homes that are unowned by the lovers, with pets that they share with others. Queer love that lasts not just lifetimes, but generations. This is that love story. A love story that traverses continents, just friendship, and garbage bins. I am really lucky to have a lot of close people in my life. I have friends from primary school that I'm still close to 16 years later. I've met people through queer meme pages on Facebook, sweaty dance floors, the green room at writers' festivals where we have bonded over feeling like imposters, over buffet tables on our third plate around, at countless protests against various injustices, through dating apps where we've matched multiple times but never actually had a conversation, and the we-know-each-other-on-the-internet-but-are-we-IRL-friends situation. I have met people who have profoundly influenced me, sometimes in the most mundane of circumstances, and ended up carving out important places in my life. 
There is a moment in one's life where you may feel as if you have all of your friends, or at least all of your best friends. If you had asked me in 2017 if I had space in my chest for not just another friend, but a best friend, a life partner, a subversion of relationship expectations, I probably would have said, I'm not really in the market right now. But then there was Elsa. Elsa has the same kind of chutzpah or Jewish audacity as I do. She will nudge her way into places whether the door is open or not, and she quickly and efficiently found a spot right inside the walls of my heart and set up a permanent kind of campsite. I didn't know it when we met, but I would be stuck with her for a long time to come. In 2017, a close friend of mine got an artist residency overseas and was taking off for seven months. Thinking that would be far too long to go without them, I decided to follow to the notorious place Melbourne queers go to when they are sick of Melbourne, but still want to be somewhere very similar to Melbourne. Berlin. I had recently recovered from top surgery, my book Finding Nouveau was out in the world, and I was ready for adventure and celebration. What people don't often tell you is that overseas travel is actually very stressful. It involves endless planning, spending a lot of money, and running so far away from your comfort zone you may barely be able to see it. Regardless of the weight limitations on your suitcase, mental health always finds a way to sneak inside and join. But I made it to Berlin. First thing I did was get on the wrong train. I had figured since I'd been there three years prior for literally a week, I would just recognize everything and know how to get around. I was wrong. Over my weeks in Berlin, I walked the graffitied streets, pretended to appreciate art, rode bikes in an abandoned airport, climbed to the top of an old spy station, went kayaking in a tiny town, danced in lots of different and sometimes confronting nightclubs, tried to pat dogs who were too serious to give me the time of day, and learned what it means to fall in love with a city other than my own. I became non-monogamous in a different kind of way. As Berlin's pride parade approached, I was ready to don my rainbow gear and march the streets. Once I exited the U-Bahn train station, I saw streetlights painted in bisexual colours and rainbow flags saturating the horizon. I caught up with my friend Orlanda, who introduced me to her group of friends that had been temporarily living in Berlin, including Elsa. Elsa told me her mum had read my book and was a big fan. We took a photo together, which she sent to her, and throughout the day we found more and more points of similarity. She was also from Melbourne, grew up in a similar area to me, the Murrumbina to my Caulfield. We had a couple of mutual friends, and she was also queer and Jewish. We marched through the streets and saw pride flags with black and brown stripes pass us by to honour the crucial activism of black and brown LGBTIQA plus people whose formative resistance set the pathway for where we are now. We danced behind a brightly painted truck whose speakers boomed pop bangers we loved and the moment began etching itself inside me so deeply that I could hold it forever. By the time the dark storm clouds rained their vengeance on the world below, we were so preoccupied with dancing and laughing we barely even noticed. The sky opened up and flushed out all its contents as every thunderous lightning strike was met with a yes from the crowd. 
We danced until our feet hurt, and it wasn't until hours later that I would discover the damage heavy rain can cause on a phone and camera hidden only inside the thin layers of a denim backpack. I rushed to the nearest store and bought a bag of rice, shoved my devices inside of it, and forgot about it again until a bouncer went through my bag as I lined up for a club many hours later and questioned the giant bag of rice I was inexplicably trying to smuggle inside. When I returned and settled back into life in Australia, I reconnected with Elsa along with her life partner Addison, and they taught me about the bounties of dumpster diving, a way of collecting and redistributing fresh food from bins that had been wasted. We discussed intersectional feminism at length and debated back and forth about various discourses and memes we had seen or read on social media. We spoke in deep ways about our connection to Judaism and queerness, what that looks like for us in the depths of ourselves and what that looks like for us moving around in the world. We put bricks down, one by one, and slowly and then all at once we built a home for ourselves. A home that wouldn't fall with the wind like some I had built in high school. A home that had no dress code, no judgments, and a place where we could actually rest our heads. When you are queer or otherwise marginalised, home is not always something easy to come by. Sometimes you simply have to build it for yourself. Building homes with chosen family is an act of queer resistance. But... We are not perfect builders, so sometimes there are cracks or leaks, but we honour our gay culture, go to Bunnings, and get the tools to fix them together. This building something, it felt like falling in love. But it wasn't. It, it couldn't be. Elsa was in a monogamous relationship, and I was not interested in her like that. We were just friends. We were just becoming best friends. That's all it was. Then I found out the relationship I had thought was monogamous wasn't. The imaginations I had been pushing out of what our future together might look like started creeping back in. Going to Shabbat dinners together, celebrating the high holidays with each other's families, raising children. These were tendencies I had with most crushes before I even knew their surname. I had often named our children. Fantasized about our holidays and distant lands together, one could say that despite my many coming outs and transitions, I am, at heart, a U-Haul lesbian. As we got closer, I could feel a deep nachas developing. Nachas is a Yiddish word that simply has no English translation. It is a bottomless pride, a familial pride, the feeling of being part of the same tribe ancestrally of holding the same history in our bodies. I had that with Elsa. We made Jewish jokes that only we understood amongst our non-Jewish friends, and we held moments between us that felt like at any second we could kiss and it would just be a natural development. I wasn't sure if Elsa felt the same way. I wasn't sure if I was reading something that simply wasn't there. Was this a will-they-won't-they they situation, or was I projecting? In true queer fashion, we had a conversation about it, because are you even queer if you don't over-communicate about everything? We both felt the same way, but we didn't have any answers. We didn't want to ruin what was brewing between us. 
And then one night, Elsa slept over, and before I knew it, we were kissing. And let me tell you, it was totally, completely, and holistically weird. Turns out sometimes you need to kiss someone to be sure that you don't actually want to kiss them. Falling in queer love with Elsa made me fall out of the rigid lines and boundaries we create around friendships and romantic relationships. We are not just friends. We are not lovers. We are not boyfriends or girlfriends, and we are certainly not goy friends. That's extra funny because goy is a word for (laughs) non-Jews. We are all of those things and none of them and everything in between. My relationship with Elsa is a healing balm to burns that have been inflicted in other dynamics. It is a space where I can be my fullest self, not merely a two-dimensional caricature of transness or diversity. It is a space where I can learn to be better and be pulled up on my crap and then in the same breath be rolling on the floor laughing and speaking in silly voices. Elsa allows me to be a kid again, perhaps even in a way I wasn't able to when I was younger. She shows me my past, and she builds with me my future. We recently moved in together, Elsa and I, during this pandemic, out of our inner queer north and into the east where there are more kookaburras than crop tops. We get to do Shabbat dinners together, celebrate high holidays with our families, teach our friends about Jewish customs, plan ways of taking over the cis-heteropatriarchy through our activism, and sing songs while wearing onesies and animal slippers. Elsa is a love of my life, who I plan to raise my kids with one day, and defy all understandings of traditional relationships with. Keep your eyes peeled for these kinds of people in your life. They can catch you by surprise. Maybe at work, at your local cafe, in a library, or maybe in a rainy Berlin pride parade. That story was told by Nevor Zizan. Nevor first told this story for Queer Stories, a national LGBTQI storytelling project curated by Maeve Marsden. To hear more, you can search for Queer Stories wherever you get your podcasts. All the best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land, in association with SIN and 3RRR, on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands, and 8CCC, on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun, and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Timothy Nguyen, Lydia Yosefova is our community coordinator and Madura Prakash is our trainee. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.